following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. Well, good morning, Narrative Church. It is great to be with you here. As much as I would love to be in person with you, I can look out the window right behind the camera right now and still see the snow falling. So I think we made the right decision this morning. Um, it's, it's definitely accumulating on the roof next door. I, I don't know. In, in St. Louis, this would make sense to me. In Central Texas, it's a little strange. I'd encourage you, take a moment and just have fun today sometime in the snow Make a tiny little snowman, drink a cup of hot chocolate on the back porch or the front porch, whichever you want. But take a moment, just enjoy what's happening. Today we're starting in a new sermon series. That sermon series is one we've entitled Riches. And we're going to be working our way through the book of Ephesians. What we want to do is we want to work our way through Ephesians before Lent. And Ephesians lines up perfectly that we'll have six weeks to do that before Ash Wednesday. And we start then into Lent and the preparation for Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And as we start in this series, we're just going to walk through pieces of each chapter of Ephesians. And we're going to try and look at Ephesians in a little bit of a different way. Because there are a lot of verses in Ephesians you may have heard before. You know, we'll talk about Ephesians 2.8, which is by grace I am saved through faith. Uh, we'll talk about the armor of God, but we, we kind of want to take differing viewpoints. How do we look at all these things, maybe in a little bit different light than we normally do? And as I was preparing our sermon, uh, there was a story that popped out to me this morning as we talk about riches. Several years ago, um, there was a, a man named Dan Price. Dan is the CEO of a company out on the West Coast, and uh, what they do is they process payments. Um, so, you know, credit cards, ACH, those kinds of things. They process those payments for other companies. And one, one day, Dan went out on a hike with a friend of his, and the two of them are out hiking, and they're just kind of, you know, talking as they hike, and his friend, she, she's explaining one of her anxieties at that point, which was her rent on her apartment was going up $200. And they were in the Seattle area. And so, you know, rent up there is, is a real deal. It's, you know, kind of even worse than the Central Texas area. And Dan's talking to her, and, you know, he's the CEO of this company. He's making a million dollars a year. He's talking with her, and and hearing, you know, her, her fear and anxiety and those kinds of things. And he, he, you know, doesn't want to pry, but he goes, well, can you tell me how much you make? And she shared that, and, you know, he felt bad for her. And then he started to realize there were people in his company that were making even less than she was making. And he started asking himself the question and saying, am I taking care of my people? Am I Am I making sure that they're doing all right? And so this was when it became newsworthy was he decided to take a pay cut, a significant pay cut, so that the starting salary 
at his company, the base salary was high enough for everyone in the company to be at a living wage where they wouldn't need to fear their finances. Now, there's a lot of things we could talk about here about money management and all those things and not outspending, but just the cost of living out there was so high, and he said, what can I do about that? And he decided to take his riches, his income, and spread it among the people who worked for him. And what came on the other side was a lot more babies being born, a lot more people paying off school debt. The company, in fact, when COVID hit, was struggling. And he looked and he, he said, I don't want to let go of anyone. So they've been functioning on this process for several years and then COVID hits and the company's struggling. And someone mentioned to him, well, why don't you ask people in the company what they would be willing to do? Well, those people who he had invested in, there were people who said, listen, I'll work for free as long as we need to get back on the horse. And, um, you know, there were people who said, I'd, I'd cut this much of my paycheck. I'd cut this much so that the company can keep going. To the point that when they did need to cut back salaries, they didn't have to cut anyone. And then months later, they were able to repay in full what people had taken as an optional cut. Now that's a real world story of someone who says, I've been given something, how do I bless people with it? And as we talk about riches over the next six weeks, what I want us to think about is that we have been blessed as the people of God, that we have been given an immense gift, an immense richness. So what do we do with that? From Ephesians this morning, we read through and we see so much of what God has done for us. Now there's one word that pops up a bunch this morning, which is predestined, that God has predestined us. And this is one of those words that as it pops up in scripture, a lot of people like to ask, well, tell us about predestination, which is this idea that God already knows who's going to be saved, so what does it matter? I don't want us to think about it like that. When you see predestined, what I want you to think is not about, well, God already knows who's going to heaven and who's going to hell, but I want you to think that when I read the word predestined, it's not about that, even though God does know those things, but we can't wrap our minds around that. That's God's area. That's not ours. But when we read predestined and it connects with us, it is about saying God has so chosen us in our baptism. He has so locked us down. It is predestined. He already knows we are his. So as you read that idea and you get that idea of predestined, lock it in. It is not a, an idea of being like, oh, who's in and who's out? It's saying, no, that in our baptism, we are locked in. There's nothing that can take that from us. We have been predestined for the family of God. Now let's keep looking. There's some other great things in here. We see in the first section of these verses, blessed be the God and Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul writes that and he is saying, listen, you have it. Those spiritual blessings, you don't gotta go looking. It is your inheritance. That predestined that you have, you are in the family. You have the blessings. They are yours. And right now, in the world we're living in, it can be hard to see that. You know, 2021 came and we thought, clean slate, here we go. And it's like, we just added gas to the dumpster fire. It's just gotten more crazy. But what we can lock into in the midst of anything happening around us is the blessings we've been given through Jesus. Paul goes on to say, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The riches of his grace. We have that blessing. The riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. These riches are not some small-time thing. This is the gift of God predestined for us as adopted into his family as sons and daughters, and he lavishes forgiveness on us. In him, we obtained an inheritance. Let me read that again. In him, Jesus, we obtained an inheritance. This is yours. This is mine. He keeps on saying, so that we who were the first hope in Christ might be the praise, might be to the praise of his glory. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit in baptism, sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, what we find out here is that as Paul writes, it's that he is looking to this church in Ephesus that is starting with the Jewish people in the area. So as he writes the, the historical context, is he's looking and saying, listen, you have it. You are the first fruit. You as the chosen people of God are first to receive this glory, to the praise of God, this identity. And as we keep reading through Ephesians, what we'll see is that Paul is arguing to say, and now take it to those who don't know him to those who don't understand your Jewish tradition, to those who don't know what it means to be the people of God. Take it to the Gentiles. We'll talk in a couple weeks. He'll say, those who were once far off have been brought near. 
And so this Sunday, as we talk about the riches of grace, it is an inheritance given to us, sealed by the Holy Spirit in our baptism. And it is ours. There is nothing that can take that from us. And I think this week, it is important for us to hear that. Because this week, we have seen images. Events have unfolded that I didn't expect in my lifetime. I feel like I keep saying that these past 12 months. We've seen it happen at the Capitol. We've seen bodies being stored in semi-trucks because of the pandemic. I have stayed up late praying for the police officers in our congregation as I know that there is a difference between a protest and a mob. I know that this year there have been good people who have gone out to protest, which is our right in this country. But there has also been evil incited by mobs. This year has been one full of uncertainty and unrest. And it's important for us as Christians to look at all of this in light of our identity, the core of who we are. And the base of who we are should not be our political affiliation. It should not be our socioeconomic levels. It should not be our fears, our anxieties, our hopes, and our dreams. Who we are is the people of God who have received the riches of grace through inheritance in Christ. And what that does is it shapes our worldview. And it should be constantly changing us, not us changing it, that as the Spirit seals that identity in us, that is done, but it is our, what we call in theological terms, our old Adam, our old Eve, that old sin in us that wants to draw us away from this identity. That if the enemy can get us looking, other places will be distracted. And I have to say that over the past 12 months, there have been a lot of distractions. And I have to say, seeing people who may have started off protesting but turned into a mob this week, unfurling a banner on the Capitol steps that said, Jesus 2020, there may be valid arguments, there may be reasons to stand up and protest. But when you start saying Jesus is the leader of this land, even he says, I do not come for that reason. You see, when Jesus came to 
originally, as he was born, just as we just celebrated and comes into Israel at that time, they were looking for a liberator from the Romans. When the people of Israel talked about their Messiah, they were looking for the second coming of King David to come and liberate them from their oppressors. This was not the kind of stuff we're dealing with. We are talking the Roman Empire, crushing, murdering, stealing. And Jesus looks at the people and says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. Because you see, the glorious inheritance that we receive is not about us getting what we want. It's about receiving what we need. That we were a people who were far from God and we were brought near. Jesus doesn't have an agenda when it comes to politics. He doesn't have a liberal agenda. He doesn't have a conservative agenda. He doesn't have a progressive agenda. He doesn't have an agenda. As Paul would say, Jesus came to save sinners of which I am the greatest. I think it's important for us as we look at the unrest that has led up to this week that we've seen protests turn into mobs more than once in the past 12 months, many times over. That people with grievances, people with things they want to talk about are bringing them forward. And I'm not going to stand here and tell you how to politically react to any of that. I want you instead to look and say, I have been given the riches of grace. What do I do with the riches of grace? First, I think it reminds us that we are bought at a price. That before this world, before this country, before anything else, we are the people of God. We are in the family. If you have sin or struggle that you feel like is alienating you from Christ, let me tell you right now, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your sin from you. The cross is enough for you. The resurrection is enough for you. The gift of Jesus is enough for you. Do not live in shame. Do not live in guilt. For Jesus came and forgives you of those sins. And secondly, don't hoard the riches. Don't hoard the riches of God. As we look at everything that's happened this year, I think one thing we should look and say is, are there places where I'm trying to keep 
the riches of God to myself and keep out those other people. Share the riches. Share what God has given you. Share the good news of Jesus. I was talking with someone the other day and they said, I don't know how others are making it through this year without Jesus. There's a lot that could drive fear and anxiety in us and I know I've had to fight it back but I keep returning to my inheritance and my identity. There's a lot of uncertainty right now. There are a lot of things that we don't know about, but what we know is that word predestined, sealed in the Holy Spirit. We belong to the kingdom of God. But that kingdom is not of this world. That kingdom is not of our own passions. It is of his. Which means that we follow Jesus above all else. It means we love our enemies. We pray for them and we don't curse them. It means that when we look and see people who are downtrodden, we seek to help because when we were downtrodden, when we were broken, we were helped. It means that we are a voice for people who do not have a voice. Wherever that comes, be it the unborn, be it people who have been lost to justice, be it people who are far away from Jesus, we seek to help. Because we do not hoard riches. We don't hold on to them. We give them away. Because you see, when we give away the riches of the blessings that God has given us, He provides over and over and over again. In the story of the prodigal son, as this son who has taken his inheritance and spent it in wild living returns, his father runs to meet him and then throws a party for him. This was the son who had done everything wrong, who had taken the father's will and stomped upon it and said, I will have none of it. I don't care. I only care about what feels good. And then when everything had fallen apart, he said, even the servants in my father's home are fed, so I'll return there. And as this party is going on, his brother returns from the fields, and he has worked diligently. He has done everything that has been asked of him. He has followed the rules, and he stays out of the party, and he is angry, and he is frustrated his father comes out to him. He says, what's wrong? And he says, I've been with you when my brother went away. I have been here. I have taken care of everything. And you wouldn't even slaughter a goat for a party with me and my friends. And I love it because the father looks at him and says, everything I have is yours. All you have to do 
is ask. When the son who went into wild living returns, the father runs to him from far away. When the brother who had stayed is grumbling and complaining and staying outside the party, the father leaves the party to come find him. You see, the good news of this riches of inheritance that we have is that God pursues us with it. Our inheritance does not stand still, even when we do not want to chase it down, it chases us. Whether it's wild living that we need to repent of, Jesus' love comes to us. Whether it's self-righteous grumbling and complaining, Jesus' love comes to us. The riches of grace are ours. And here's what I would challenge you with. I don't know where you fall along the spectrums that are in our country now. But this is a challenge I'm trying to take upon myself, which is to say, where do the people that I view as enemies need the riches of God's grace? If I'm called to be like Jesus, if I'm called to be his disciple, here at Narrative we say we are disciples living the story of Jesus. That is not comfortable, it is not easy, but that is what we are called to do. Live the story of Jesus. And his story is about a savior who would go to his enemies, would go to the people who would destroy him and put him on a cross and say, this is for you. that he would even look down upon the Romans who were crucifying him with care and compassion. The love of Christ is not something we hoard. The riches of grace is not something we hold on to and say, everyone else stay away while we gain power through this. No, this is something where we become powerless and we give it away because we know the riches of grace do not fail, they do not falter, and they keep coming for us. I don't think that Narrative Church has a part to play on the national scale of what's happening. Maybe we do, and I just don't know it. But here's what I do know. In Round Rock, in Georgetown, in North Austin, in Hutto, in Taylor, in Gerald, we have outposts of people that are a part of the body of Christ that we call Narrative Church called to take those riches and give them away. In Georgetown, in Wahlberg, in Thrall, in Taylor, in Hutto, in North Austin, wherever we are, we are called to give those riches away. So mourn as you look at the world and the state of our country. Mourn and lament. But remember, our Savior is not a political party, it is not political thought, it is not economics, it is not this country. Our Savior is Jesus. 
And I believe where we are as a church, we are called to be salt and light, to give away those riches. So first, live in that inheritance. That is your identity. You are the family of God. And then pray a simple prayer. It's two parts. Lord, where do I need your riches in my life? And where do I need to give them away? Where do I need your grace so that I can give grace to people who are unlike me, who hold different ideas than me, who seem opposite of who I am? And maybe some people who are like you. Because I think we are called to this place at this time. So how can we live in our identity of that inheritance and share the riches of grace? Where can we see God's kingdom where we are? Let's pray. Lord, convict us, challenge us, Lord, this whole year, the last 12 months, from sickness to mob violence, it seems to keep repeating itself. And what we see is that no one holds to perfect ideas because, Lord, there is no perfect outside of you. Lord, challenge us. We know we can't change others. So we pray that you would change us. Teach us to love our neighbors. Teach us to share your riches. Lord, when we look and see it, how blessed we have become because of your word, spiritually, immensely blessed, Lord, may we look to share it and not hoard your riches. Lord, put people in our life who are different than us. Put people in our life who challenge us because they need your riches and our goal is to share those riches. Let us live solidly in that identity of an inheritance of the riches of grace so that we may walk into the world and be dealers of hope and light all pointing to your name. Amen. Thank you.